Space calling. You're listening to Wild Weasel, a podcast about wargaming news, wargaming ideas, and wargaming people. I'm Bruce Garrick, your host and electronic warfare technician. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Wild Weasel number 13. Or, if you've listened before, then welcome back. We have a lot of stuff to get to this time, so in the spirit of going all in, let's just add more stuff. Yeah, this is like the Ameritrash episode. That's right, people who watched my videos have been asking me to do an unboxing, so I thought, sure. I just got GMT's Holland 44 in the mail recently, so I figured I could unbox it on Wild Weasel. How about that? So, Let's get right to it. Here's the box. Nice, huh? As you can hear, it's all covered in shrink wrap. So let's get that off of here. All right. Now we've got a brand new Holland 44 with the shrink wrap off. Let's open it up. Yeah, unboxed. Nice. What do you think of that? If that hasn't already gotten you excited, as I said, we've got a lot of stuff to get to. We have an interview with some guys who are shaking up the wargaming hobby with their new game definitions and radical mixology. And at the end, I have a bit of a rant. But first, the news. I'll lead off this news segment with the GMT update, which I don't usually do, because I figure most people who listen to this podcast have already read the GMT update email by the time they listen to Wild Weasel, but I have some commentary on this one. I saw a thread on BoardGameGeek where a user named Grumpy Smurf complained that GMT was releasing another Battle of the Bulge game. In fact, the thread is titled, Wow, Another Battle of the Bulge Game, in a way that isn't really positive if you read the post. Now, I might have been more sympathetic to this at one point, but the game in question is the newly announced A Time for Trumpets, named after Charles McDonald's classic 1984 book about the battle. The fact that the book is from 1984 is significant because the designer is Bruno Sinagoglio, the designer of Avalon Hill's updated Bulge 81, which I played until I basically wore out the counters. Now, Bruno announced that he was designing this a couple years back, but now it's made the GMTP 500 list. The thing is, the scale is battalion, so it's going to be large. Five maps, 12 countersheets. An MMP released last Blitzkrieg not too long ago, which is also battalion level. And of course, so is SPI's Wacht am Rhein. So why am I excited about this? Because given that Bruno is designing it, I will actually make an effort to sit down and play it. P500 price is 89 bucks, otherwise it'll be 149 at retail, which is almost 20 bucks more than the MMP game. Until then, I am playing John Butterfield's Ardennes game. In another shocker, there will be another Great Battles of the American Civil War game, about six battles in the Shenandoah campaign. I'm more interested in games about the campaigns themselves than the actual battles, but just like with Kevin Zucker's Napoleonic games, it seems like designers and consumers disagree. I'm going to pass on this one, but you all can tell me how it is. For those of you who appreciate stylistic consistency in game titles, we have 4CMBG, which is an expansion for MBT. That's the 4th Canadian Mechanized Brigade. This is going to just require the base game, MBT, but not require any of the expansions, FRG or BAOR. So just remember, MBT minus FRG minus BAOR equals 4CMBG. Got it? Okay. 
If you like designer Mike Noggle's game Son of York about battles during the Wars of the Roses, it looks like he's designing a modified system about the Hundred Years' War called Saint-Omer to Saint-Crispin, which will include 18 battles including uh, Agincourt and Crecy. You can even use your Son of York components to mate with this one and use the new system for those battles. I'm curious. That's all I'll say. By the way, if you haven't bought the new second edition of Fields of Fire, you might want to see what GMT ends up doing with the rulebook. The current one got published with a bunch of holdover language from the first edition, making the examples of play somewhat less than useful. This seems like a pretty big oversight to make on a new edition of a game. I hope GMT eventually just publishes a new example of playbook. Tiny Battle Publishing, Mark H. Walker's company, has a new game from Bruce Costello called Operation Icarus, about a hypothetical German invasion of Iceland during World War II. This lineup of games has some nice production values, judging from Winter Thunder and Red Horde 1920, which I've mentioned on previous episodes, and is still priced under $30, so you're not getting a do-it-yourself kit, but an actual game. I'm not usually big on alternate history games, but this one is unique enough that I don't think I'm going to be able to resist. Another smaller publisher is Paul Rohrbaugh's High Flying Dice Games, which has Black Lions Roar out about the U.S. 28th Infantry Regiment's participation in the Battle of Cantigny against the Germans in 1918. This looks like a hex encounter war game, and it's going to be $21 plus shipping. But remember, with high-flying dice games, if you want mounted counters, that's an extra $5. Now, Last Stand Games, which is associated with the publisher of Against the Odds magazine, is publishing Michael Rinella's area impulse game Stalingrad, colon, for Done on the Volga. Now, Michael Rinella has done some area impulse games in the past, including Monty's Gamble, which I think is a fine game. Verdun on the Volga is supposed to be a three-hour game with setup time around 15 minutes, so that's some pretty fast Stalingrad. It's definitely shorter than the other Stalingrad area impulse game, Turning Point Stalingrad. But when you go to the Last Stand Games webpage about it, it looks like they're selling a bunch of different packages which aren't clearly marked. They do explain that the Kurgan package, which I guess refers to the Mamayev Kurgan, which was a geographical feature in the battle, contains just the Verdun on the Volga game. And that's $100 with a 20% discount for a current Against the Odds subscribers. For $125, you get the Tank Works package, which includes the Battle of Stalingrad game from Turning Point Simulations, which is also part of ATO. And for $150, you can have the Red October package, which also includes the Wintergewitter campaign study, which was one of those year-end campaign studies that ATO always puts out. Uh, This one is from 2007, but I guess you get it as part of this package. By the way, my 2015 campaign study... Four Roads to Paris just arrived, since I'm an ATO subscriber. But that's the 2015 annual, labeled as such and meant to be released for the 75th anniversary of the Battle for France. Like I said, it just arrived last week. Anyway, go to the link on the podcast page for more information on all of this, including a link to the Consum World discussion page for Verdun on the Volga. Speaking of Eastern Front games, Pacific Rim Publishing is reprinting Jack Rady's Corson Pocket Game, originally published by People's War Games in 1978. I think I mentioned this reprint was coming on a previous episode of Wild Weasel. I'm almost sure I did. And according to Pacific Rim's webpage, this one will be quite large, and thus $225. Now that's the pre-order price, $300 at retail. But they are saying that they won't be going to press until they have 500 pre-orders. And currently, the webpage lists total pre-orders at... 24. So, I don't know if we're going to be seeing this for a while, but you don't have to pay right now, though. Just tell them you're interested, kind of like Legion War Games does. And I have a link to this on that podcast page. Speaking of Jacks, how about Jack Green's game Hitler Strikes North, Norway 1940? Uh, we discussed this with Jack on an earlier episode of The Weasel, and he tells me that this game will be available in October, and that he has some of the components already in hand. The price is going to be $39. I'll have more info for you when I get it. Hopefully, that will be soon. Worthington Publishing has a Kickstarter running for Hold Fast Tunisia. That campaign has 13 days left to go, but has already met its goal with 89 pre-orders, so as long as you pledge $65, that's including U.S. shipping, you will presumably get the game. Um, I've heard mixed opinions of the Hold Fast series. Make your own judgments. Compass Games will be releasing Guam, Return to Glory, about the U.S. recapture of Guam in 1944, as part of Adam Starkweather's CSS, or Company Scale System. That's not SCS, which is the standard combat system from MMP. Got that? Okay, so this is the second game in Adam's system. The first one was Saipan, The Bloody Rock, and was released in May. I haven't played that one, so if anyone has any thoughts about the Company Scale System, drop me a line. 
Hollandspiele keeps releasing games. The new one on their webpage is Objective Shreveport about the Union campaign in Louisiana's Red River Valley in 1864. It's designed by John Thiessen, who also did more aggressive attitudes about the 1862 campaign in Virginia, although they did not use the same system for Objective Shreveport. That's $40 using their print-on-demand fulfillment company, Blue Panther. One thing about Hollandspiel that I should mention, and actually as well as White Dog Games, is that they, they provide electronic images of maps to anyone who purchases their games so that you can get them mounted. Um, there's this company called Print and Play that does a fantastic job of mounting maps, and I've had something like six or seven maps mounted in this way, and it's just great. It's, I don't know, 10 to $12 per map, I think, which seems to me very reasonable. I'll have a link to Print and Play on the podcast page, and if you ask Hollandspiele or White Dog for the PNG or JPEG images, they'll send them to you if you purchase the game you're requesting. MMP released Special Ops Magazine number 7 last month, which came with a complete game called Autumn for Barbarossa about the battles around Smolensk in 1941. It's a standard combat series game, which means SCS, and is small enough to easily play in an evening. I like smaller balanced hex encounter games that don't have to set aside an entire day or weekend for. So it was nice to see this arrive. I haven't played it, but I will. Lastly, I just want to comment on the Phalanx Games reprint of Hannibal, which was originally Mark Simonich's Hannibal, Rome vs. Carthage, published in 1996 by Avalon Hill. Valley Games did a reprint in 2007. You might also know that Phalanx completed a Kickstarter for the latest edition in May to be called Hannibal in Hamilcar, which is actually two different games, since the latter game introduces the first Punic War. But what I want to take issue with is this, which comes from the Kickstarter. And this is a quote. Hannibal, Rome vs. Carthage, is one of the best two-player games ever published. The game is renowned for its tense, well-balanced mechanics, and it tells a great story. Hannibal crossing the Alps on his herd of elephants is one of the most memorable events in history. The development team at Phalanx has given this game a careful, meticulous update. It is now easier and faster to play. It plays considerably shorter, and easier, faster, and shorter are all in bold. It has received new, stunning art. It is even better than it used to be. That's their quote. So, let's get something straight. It might be faster playing, it might be shorter, but that doesn't make it better. I have a real problem with the way uh, good games seem to get the streamlining treatment now, which is passed off as improvement. What it is, is a publisher's determination that a faster, shorter Hannibal would sell more copies. Which is a business decision. That's fine. I'm just call it that. And that's the news. So, today on Wild Weasel, we have the new bad boys of the wargaming hobby, Michael Gower and Tom Abramidas. Hey guys, how you doing? Oh, real, real well. Yeah, real pretty well. good. How you doing, Bruce? Good. Now, uh, Tom, Abramitis has got to be a Lithuanian name, right? Yes. Oh, wow. Nice. Well done. Very good. All right. Well, we Poles know about Lithuanians, so that's I'm excellent. impressed. I really am. All right. Well, we're going to even be more impressed uh, when I give some you guys some three questions, uh, but we'll get to that. So here's the here's the question I have for you that's sort of a general overall question for both of you. How did you get into wargaming? You guys are, I think you said, actually, I think this is, this is not a reveal because you guys mentioned it on your, either on Board Game Geek, uh, I think actually on the, your Board Game Geek thread, that you guys are like in your 20s. Um, how, how do you end up uh, board wargaming and not playing like uh, Call of Duty? <laughs> I mean, Michael, you're, you might be more traditional. You want to go, you wanna go yeah, first? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so... I, I mean, certainly I've played my fair share of uh, video games, which is, you know, maybe more strongly associated with our generation. But uh, I started to really get into, like, modern board games. Um, you know, think, like, your Carcassonne and that kind of deal. Okay. Maybe, like, I don't know, five years ago or so. But I had been into miniature board gaming in some way since I was probably 12, and one of my friends had a Games Workshop magazine, and we just spent hours looking at the Space Marines and yeah. the Eldar and everything. Sure, sure. And so I did that. Yeah, I did that for, for uh, off and on for quite a while. Started getting more modern uh, board games. And then um, always had kind of a little bit of an interest in kind of the war games. And then I met Tom. And uh, Tom had been pretty, well, well we won't uh, go over his story too much. I'll uh, we'll leave it for him. Mm -hmm. But he had just been kind of getting into it. He showed me into that world. 
and I just decided it was it paired well with my modern uh, board gaming sensibilities, and it also was way cheaper and way easier to play a game <laughs> of uh, of any any war game, literally any war game that it was to do miniature war gaming. As much as I wasn't one of those people who didn't like to paint and all that, but uh, you know, it's just it's a whole nother. Uh, layer that prevents you from getting a game and so right. that's kind of how I got into it. I was always interested in history and all of that as well. Okay, so that's a, that's a long-standing okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so that, you know, that kind of helped too, but uh, that's kind of the gist of how I got into it. I'll let let Tom fill in the blanks here. Um, well, mine was mine's like pretty similar in a lot of ways, um, but I, I, I played some uh, 40k when I was like 10 uh, very, very poorly, I'm sure, but um, uh, 40k and a little bit of D&D when I was like in middle school and um, uh, at some point I got into like lighter euros and then I got Twilight Struggle and then I got uh, Advanced Squad Leader Starter Kit 1 which pretty much blew my mind and from from there I was I was a chrome guy so <laughs> okay blew your mind in what way uh just the the narrative and the detail that I, I read an AAR on Board Game Geek, mm-hmm. and I I knew that that was what I wanted. I mean, it was yeah, it makes it was sense. Deep, it was deep, it was detailed. It it uh, it was all encompassing. Mm-hmm. So. Okay, that that all makes sense. Okay, and Twilight Struggle. So you bought Twi- so those are kind of different uh, different avenues of the hobby because Twilight Struggle is is the is the non um, the non-chrome game. Yeah. Yes. Well, but that was because that was one of those things where I was in a shop walking around and I happened to see Twilight Struggle. They had a couple of GMT stuff. And, um, but I knew that at that time, Twilight Struggle was like number one on the BGG rankings. Uh So I bought it strictly because of that, not really knowing that much about it. But then I started to learn, what a war game is, whether or not you think Twilight Struggle is a war game, we don't need to talk about it. Yeah, we'll we'll leave um, that for another time. It's on my it's on my <laughs> list of uh, it's on my list of top uh, ten war games. Yeah, yeah, I mean it's good. That's I mean, uh, in, in in fairness and defense mm-hmm. of us, both Tom and I do think it's a war game, but we're, we're 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 as I'm sure you are the arguments. <laughs> yeah, so. yeah, those are yeah, those are great. That's uh, that's a great way to spend like three hours. Okay. Yes, easily. <laughs> So uh, okay, well that's that's uh, pretty neat. So the did um, you guys do do? I, I don't quite get from the from the podcast. Do you guys both do? Uh, yeah, you guys both do role playing because you were showing you you had tweeted out a picture of you guys were doing um, you're you're playing some game and uh, you were drinking Bloody Marys. Yes, <laughs> yeah. Well, Michael's definitely. I'd say he kind of got me into it because I hadn't really played since I was like um basically in middle school. Mm-hmm. Until recently, so yeah, um, and I mean, I didn't really mention it too much, but I mean, my experience with D and D was pretty similar to Tom's. Middle school, a little bit into high school, I got out of it for a long time, but always loved it. I mean, I was always buying and reading PDF of rule books of games that I have never and will never play. Yeah. Oh, I um, have that problem. Yeah. Oh <laughs> yes, you know, uh, was it uh, drive through RPG? Man, they just mm-hmm. get you every time. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I've, I've recently got back into it. Um, uh, a big reason why I was getting really into just the modern board games period was my girlfriend started to go to a regular board game night with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we went to a convention and played, uh, I think it was Stormbringer, um, the old Stormbringer RPG. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. She, she really liked that. And uh, so that's been another way that I can do my nerdy things and uh, spend time with my girlfriend. And so I've been trying to get more RPGs going with Tom and uh, our other friends. And we were playing... Dungeon Crawl Classics, uh, Escape from the Purple Planet last night, and those are the, the pictures you were talking about. Ah. What what system does that use? Uh, it's Dungeon Crawl Classics is the system. Um, oh, I don't know that one. Yeah, they used to, uh, just the tiny little bit of history here that I know about it, they used to make little, like, $10 uh, couple adventures for, like, 4th edition, 5th edition mm-hmm. D&D, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually they decided... Why are we making content for another system? We should make our own system. Mm-hmm. And it's a huge throwback to like AD&D. It's lots of charts and fumbles and critical hits and random everything. Love it. But it's more, it's a more modern take on all those systems. And I, I think it's a really cool thing, especially if you like like the old school, not only rules, but the way the, the modules and adventures are written are very old school. 
So yeah, that's yeah, that's kind of, that's my thing. I was oh, I was into I was into AD and D uh, when you know when it came out uh, and we played uh, in 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 junior high school. Oh my god, we would spend just hours. Just oh, we had a whole we had the Greyhawk map pinned on my friend's wall, um, <laughs> and then we had decided where where like our Oh, anyway, but it's yeah. That's a that's a that's a long long. Yeah, story. well, check out Dungeon Crawl Classics. I think you'd like it. Okay, that sounds uh, that sounds that sounds different. I like finding out about new things. Tell me about uh, podcasting. How did you you? So that's a that's another atypical thing. You decided you're going to play war games, so you're going to go to podcast about it. Uh, how did that come about? This one's a better story because it was one moment in time that was really important uh, to why we started the podcast. <laughs> okay. Uh, you want to tell a story, Tom? Or um, no, go for it. Okay, <laughs> all right. So, uh, what? Tom and I had known each other for maybe like eight months or something at that point. Been hanging out at least regularly for sure. about that long. And uh, uh, both, I think my girlfriend was out of town. She was at a conference or something. Uh, I don't know what Alex was doing. I was free somehow. Yeah, she was gone. She was, you know, visiting her mom or something. I don't know. Uh, and so we decided we were going to have a boys' night and uh, went to, to my apartment, set up Cuba Libre, uh, the second in the coin series. Um, we were both kind of learning to play it, I think. That was maybe the first time early. we played it. Yeah, early. Yeah, maybe we had messed around with it a little bit, but one of our first games of it. And uh, we actually drank Cuba Libres while we were doing it. I mixed up Cuba Libres. And... Uh, then we went Facebook Live, <laughs> and uh, uh, so we we went Facebook Live to uh, um, this was the AAC Advanced After Combat like Facebook thing or something. Mm-hmm. There's something that had to do with Advanced After Combat. Yep. And people were watching us, and we were just having so much fun, just you know, talking and and doing our moves and everything. Mm-hmm. And when we were done with that and done with the game, Tom, I just like. Like, man, we should do more things like that. That was so cool. It was cool to interact with people and and put something out there. And we've both been podcast listeners for a long time. Uh-huh. A lot. I just, especially with the the job, uh, both or we both work at a place now where we listen to a lot of podcasts during the day. Okay. And uh, yeah, we just always loved it, and that was kind of where it just ended up going like i said we were just enamored with the idea of like producing content and interacting with people and, and putting something out there and uh rather than going the youtube route we went the podcast route yeah yeah well the youtube route is tough because while i i enjoy uh you know i see like uh, kev at the big board does some uh does some uh famous kev show. Famous he, he puts out a lot of stuff on the uh on the um youtubes as they say um but uh i don't ever get a chance to watch them where i watch like one in ten and that's because you have to sit down and you have to look at it right and how mm-hmm. how often do i get a chance to get to do that not that often but like with you guys I've, I've listened to all the rally in the valleys because hey i'm watering the lawn or i'm you know doing something in the house i can have my i can either have the thing the stereo on plug it in or i can have my headphones on or i can even do it in the car when i'm driving so yeah i think you guys made the better uh made the better choice with yeah, the, uh, I mean that's how that's how we feel about it. Um, yeah, we were both shaking our heads when you said you have to sit down and watch it because that's it's hard. Yeah, it's hard to do that. I mean, I could like I can do exactly what you were saying with podcasts, and I can do it at work, and I have like a we have fairly long commutes, so I mean, yeah, it's just more convenient. Yeah, so good. Well, don't. Uh, although you know the one the one in the one in sin forever, you know YouTube little thing. You put it out there. Eventually, you. Uh, people will watch it that's the other thing i like is that when if people do it irregularly then i don't feel like i'm behind right because if somebody puts it you know like like uh, marco arnado puts out so many videos that i'm like well you know i'm never going to keep up with these things uh so i just kind of like ah whatever um if there's a game that i like i'll I'll try to find it but if somebody puts it out irregular content then it's it's easier to feel like you're you're current because you never want to you never want to feel like you're behind the curve because then you then you just feel like a loser so uh, uh okay well uh, that's that's that part. I want to um, I want to ask you guys some specific questions. So we can discuss these a little bit. But uh, I had come up with a few things that I wanted to know based list, based on listening to your podcast. And the first one uh, is is specifically just for Tom. And I was wondering what it, can you just define the word the words Euro game for me? Oh God. 
no, Michael's Michael's like probably gonna glare at me the whole time while I do this. Um, if you've if anyone's listened to Rally in the Valley, uh, I'm just gonna I'm gonna toe the line. I'm gonna say uh, a Euro game is anything with blocks or doesn't have hexes. Okay. Blocks or no hexes? So well, at least you didn't say it was a game made in Europe because that would that's, that's a thing, right? <laughs> uh, I'll work on that. Yeah, um, good, no blocks. Bit. Okay, so uh, so blocks, so blocks, no hexes. So all so coin games are all Euro games. Absolutely. Okay. Gosh, I'm like having an embolism right now. <laughs> what, uh, at, the, at, the, at the best, they're just crossovers. So so oh, that's interesting. So uh, so your so your. Uh, take on this is that uh, if it doesn't if it doesn't have enough chrome for you it's it's a uh, it's a it's a euro game i mean at least that's that's what i'm gonna say <laughs> so michael how do you how do you feel about that uh, well as as i've alluded to i play all sorts of different games and i go to a regular once a week board game night where we play everything mm-hmm. and uh yeah, I just want to smack Tom in the face every single time he says something like that. But uh, no, I actually um, you should hear what he says when we're done recording. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, it hurts me in the inside in a place that I didn't think I had. Hmm. Um, which is this is what you want in a podcast partner. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I actually, I actually think the like Euro War Game Ameritrash. You know, social deduction. All these like labels are like very quickly becoming not all that useful with mm-hmm. the way all sorts of games are going. I mean, even right. RPG. Like, so many games mix all the genres now that mm-hmm. I'm not even sure what anything is anymore. Not that that bothers me. Right. But uh, <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. I think that. So, it, I, I think in defense of, of the in defense of labels, you use the word useful, which I think is is great because useful is exactly what these labels were, right? I mean, it, it, 20 years ago, uh, the idea of Eurogame was very clear, right? It's not Parcheesi. It's not Monopoly. It's this other yeah. kind of game, right? So, you know, you had... By that time, you had Catan. Uh, you had... Gosh, it's been 20 years since Catan. Holy cow. Uh, yeah. Wow, 20 years. That's, That's amazing to me. Carcassonne uh, 2 is right yeah. around that time. Yeah, yeah. And then, you know, and then the, even earlier games like Scotland Yard, I remember playing that and being like, wow, this Ooh. is not a, this is not uh, like a board game. It's a different kind of game. Um, but yeah, now that, now that stuff has been, has been, um, has been sort of, I, it, the, the tendrils of all these games are going out into each other and they're, and they're becoming, they're becoming, uh, you know, similar in some ways. But I still think that, that these, these labels can help because it can tell me, like a block game, uh, it can tell me immediately, like, what, what am I looking at? So do I, do I want to investigate it further or do I want to just say, ah, I'm probably gonna, not going to, because, uh, um, you know, if somebody says social deduction game, then that's it. I'm done. I, there's no, I have no, no interest in playing the game. I don't want to see the box. I don't want to see the rules. I don't want to see anything about it because I'm not going to enjoy it. So I just, I put that on the shelf. Um, so yeah, I think, I think the labels can be helpful, but, uh, but I think some, yeah, I agree that some of them are, are becoming so sort of broad and, and, and not helpful that, that maybe we need to retire them, but. I'll stick with I'll stick with Eurogame for a little longer. So. I mean, just to be clear, like I, we agree with you, and I agree with you, and like, like the my whole Euro thing on Rally in the Valley is almost to be so ironic about the whole like Euro versus War. Oh, game. I get it. Don't don't believe <laughs> yeah. me. Tell yeah. my irony. No, I get it. There's there's a, yeah. there's a, yeah yeah. No, we're 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 all there. We're all in the same place. Um, but I still <laughs> think Michael. Just, no, he doesn't get it. <laughs> well, <laughs> he doesn't get the joke. <laughs> well, here's the thing, right? I mean. Nope. I mean, in a very – you guys weren't around for the for – the, um, boy, there were some real sourpusses in the hobby like 30 years ago. Um, some guy wrote this long letter to the general about how he went to – because Avalon Hill used to have this uh, like like meeting, sort of like a state of, the, state of the company meeting at Origins every year. And, oh, my God, the people that would show up and go, why haven't you produced this game that you announced four years ago and it's not out and I was waiting for it and you're making me mad? And it was. I mean, to be fair, some yeah. of the people there, like, might die before those games came out. <laughs> <laughs> that voice that you just did, yeah. I'd be worried. But, I mean, yeah, and that was and, – and, 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 and some of those people were, like, 30 years old. So, I mean, like, and sounded like that. So, uh <laughs> 
<laughs> but uh, but yeah, it just uh, people were so mad at everything, and, and and there were letters to the. In one of my videos, I even I even um, showed one of those letters where the guy was so angry that they hadn't put out you know that any any resources that Avalon Hill was using on any game, if were being misapplied because they weren't being used for for squad leader, right? <laughs> so that's the thing though. <laughs> <laughs> MMP gets like letters like that all the time. I'm yeah. Sure. Oh yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And then that's that's you know that's the people were so mad. And there was there there was a, a game. There was a, a letter where some guy the the, uh, the fleet series, if if you recall the fleet series from from uh, victory from victory games. Yeah, um, I have one. Yeah, yeah, it's a good, it's a good series. I really like the system. Um, that originally came out, or it came out. It was announced by Avalon Hill. They were going to do a game called Red Sky at Morning. You know, the whole Red Sky at Morning, Sailors Take Warning, or whatever the hell. Um, so they were going to do a, they were going to do a game called Red Sky at Morning, and it just kind of, you know, I don't know who was going to design it, but it just never got going, and it was this thing that. Um, that just never developed, and they didn't have a lot of naval war games. So some guy who must have been like a big naval war gamer uh, wrote this. Like uh, to their credit, they printed it. It was like this page long letter to the general about how he went to their meeting and they found out that Red Sky at Morning was going to be an area movement game. So he just immediately walked <laughs> out because that's you know, <laughs> yeah, just like oh god, dude, just oh god, guess because you know then back then if you know it was area movement that meant it was somehow you know for kids and it was cheap. It was and, lesser. Yeah, it was, it was lesser. Not as good. Yeah, right. Yeah, it couldn't be a good game because it didn't have hexes. So. <laughs> anyway, we're I yeah, hope we're we're we'll move past that. But I agree. I agree if uh, if a game has a block in it then it, that's really kind of uh, you know questionable. We got to got to got to look <laughs> at it. Yeah. Solidarity. There you go. All right. So so Michael, um uh so this the next question is going to be just for you, okay? Okay. So, uh you have a segment in Rallying the Valley which I really like, which is where you have a it's like a wine pairing but it's a cocktail pairing. So you have a, a cocktail and a game. And I've been li- I've listened to all the rallies in the valley now, and you've never mentioned the cocktail, the best cocktail, the best cocktail that exists in the world is the paper plane. Uh, it's a it's a whiskey uh, cocktail. It's got some bitters in it. Uh, it's it's really. Uh, I'll just let me just tell you what's in it. It's uh, go ahead, go ahead. There you go. It's a three quarter ounce of bourbon, uh, three quarters ounce apérol, which is a um, kind of a. It's an Italian. I think it's a bitter orange thing. Then three. It's like uh, it's like Campari, but it's less bitter. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's a good way to describe it. And then um, three quarter ounce amaro, which is uh, which is a bitter. And then uh, three quarter ounce lemon juice, and it's often served with like a uh, like a rind of a, of a lemon, sometimes not. Um, and my question is, if you were going to make and drink this, uh, what game would you pair with it? Okay, so uh, as I sometimes and sometimes not do uh, with my Liquid Courage segment on Rallying the Valley, I, I did some research on this one because I'd never heard of the paper plane before. Uh-huh. Okay. And I was trying to assemble the ingredients to make it, mm-hmm. and I could not find that Amaro anywhere. Not that we have uh, just a little bit of uh, a side note about Wisconsin. Wisconsin mm-hmm. has bars everywhere. Yeah. And I'm not originally from Wisconsin, and so coming here was was mind blowing. Mm-hmm. But uh, liquor stores are severely lacking, at least where we live. There's there's very surprisingly good liquor sections in grocery stores, mm-hmm. but not like standalone liquor stores. Mm-hmm. So I could not find the Amaro, so I haven't been able to make the cocktail. Mm, okay. But but I went. I did try to go a step further mm-hmm. and research about the cocktail mm-hmm. because I always like to do my pairings in a way that makes sense with okay. maybe an ingredient in the cocktail or mm-hmm. the cocktail itself or its history. Um, and I found out this this is a fairly recent cocktail mm-hmm. uh, as far as invention. Yeah. And actually, the guy who created it said he was he's, he must be a I don't know, mixologist or whatever. Oh, they're mixologist. all mixologists, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, but he was spending all his time trying to make this cocktail, and uh, when he was making it, the MIA song, Paper Planes, was very popular. Hmm. He kept hearing it on the radio. Okay. And that's, uh, MIA is a, she's a Sri Lankan, well, she's of Sri Lankan heritage. I think she's British. Mm-hmm. She's a rapper. Mm-hmm. And uh, this song was very big for a while, and, and uh, Tom and I, being young, hip gentlemen, know this song. Mm. Um, and, uh, 
so so that's the direction I went with my my game recommendation. And uh, she she's of like I said Sri Lankan uh, heritage. She's actually a uh, I think they they say Tamil to Tamil Tamil. Uh, Tamil, yeah, yeah um, she's part of that ethnic group, like mm-hmm. her her ancestry is. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I spent probably a good couple hours poring over BGG to fi- find something about the Sri Lankan Civil War mm. um, and and the and the Tamil Tigers. Yeah, Tamil um, Tigers. So what? Where did did you find anything? I, that's, I that's did not fan- find wow. anything. And it broke my heart. Oh my god! I did, see, I did see a very promising thread from a couple of years ago uh-huh. where Brian Train came in. Yeah, I, that, oh uh, my god! I was about to say, well, we need to call Brian Train. It's exactly. amazing. And he uh, he came in. Somebody was saying, "Oh, this is an interesting subject," and and I think it is. It's a I don't know too much about it, but it's a super fascinating civil war, and yeah. it ended so violently. Yeah, I mean, I think, I think it was like two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. I remember seeing this in the news where. Yes. Basically, the they had you know the tigers had this region that they mm-hmm. controlled, right? And the Sri Lankan government like came in, cordoned and, it off, yeah. And I mean, artillery shelled yep. it. And just, yep. it. It was a it was a surprisingly violent end to a, mm-hmm. a, a counterinsurgency. Yeah. Like it was not the hearts and mind kind of thing. No. It was well, we just killed them all, right? Yeah. And uh, he came in and said, "Yeah, this is super interesting." He said that he doesn't think GMT's coin system would be a good fit mm-hmm. but that he it's on his list of something he wants to do mm. and so uh my so, recommendation yeah. is wait for that brian train okay. <laughs> because i just think that that whatever he's going to do is going to be cool and uh just as i have not played this mythical sri lankan civil war mm-hmm. game i have not drank a okay. paper okay interesting <laughs> well okay that's so that's a that is a fantastic a uh, little piece of research and, and, and tie in there. Thank you for that. That's uh, that's 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 wild. Um, if you've ever listened to the MIA song Paper Planes, check it out. I thought you were going to suggest a game about money and guns because that's what the song is about. But <laughs> whatever, that was good too. I guess. <laughs> I, I may actually, you know what? I may have heard it. Um, I have I have this problem where I hear a bunch of stuff on the radio and I never uh, know what I'm listening to. Uh, so it, it's possible that, but I, that sounds like I may not. That's not. Uh, when did it come out? Uh, it was probably like 2006. Yeah, ish. something like that. Um, I don't know. It's it is one of those songs that is. I mean, it was on the radio everywhere. It was you know a top 20 hit. Yeah. But, so I mean, you probably heard it probably somewhere in that yeah, point, yeah. just yeah. walking by radio. I mean, you'll probably be like, oh yeah, I've been in the club plenty of times. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, I'll that's uh, I'll, I'll I'll figure that one out. Um, the, you know the the the, uh, the the thing that I was going to say about the uh, the you guys being in Wisconsin, a lot of bars, not uh, liquor stores. That uh, it, I mean, if you walked into a bar in Wisconsin, would they be able to make a paper plane or no? I doubt it. Do doubt I think it? if you walk to the average bar, yeah. no. There yeah. are like there's obviously I mean as there is anywhere in the world, there's the high class bars. Right, right. I'm sure if I went to one of those, I would get it. But if I went to the average bar, I mean, I struggle. To get like a good martini or yeah. whatever, even around here, brandy old fashions. On the other hand, yeah. they can make behind their back, yeah. blindfolded, yeah. spun around, right. music blaring. Yeah, yeah, old fashioned. I'm kind of, I'm, I'm, I'm old fashioned out. Uh, it's funny because, because uh, in um, when I lived in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, there are a lot of bars there too. Same kind of problem uh, with uh, they had some liquor stores, but nobody could make a mojito to save their life, and they would always have this stupid excuse like, "Oh, we don't have any mint." I'm like, "Well, just get some mint. It, t- it keeps forever. Just keep it under the freaking bar. Why can't you make me a mojito?" That was when I was on a mojito kick. Um, but uh, have you guys ever had a caipirinha? No, no, uh, I don't think so. Okay, that's your next. So, so look that one up. That's that was my that was my my go to favorite. Oh, that another drink that they couldn't make they could make for some reason they could make in champaign illinois they couldn't make in chapel hill uh north carolina so that's bizarre but um yeah caipirinha try, try that out it's, a, it's kind okay. of a mojito but it's a different it's a brazilian kind of deal so all right um so my last question for you guys is uh another kind of pairing but it's for both of you and since you guys are from wisconsin now regardless of original provenance um is is there a like Knowing everything you know about Wisconsin, 
what would be the quintessential Wisconsin war game? And it doesn't have to be about, I mean, it can be about Wisconsin. It doesn't have to be. But uh, what, what, like, if you were going to talk about Wisconsin and then you were going to talk about war games, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's that. That war game's pretty Wisconsin. It's just like going to, Czech, <laughs> it's like going to well, Czechoslovakia. Okay, I'll take it one step farther. Yeah. I'll do it about my hometown. Okay, good. Well, this is, I want to preempt this a little bit. And uh, even though I'm not an original Wisconsinite, I am a, I'm a Minnesotan at ah, heart, all right. and uh, my parents are from Pennsylvania, so I'm also a steel town, mm-hmm. Pittsburgh, okay. as well. But uh, I'm, Wisconsin is quite the pedigree when it comes to gaming. I mean, we've got, I mean, Gary Gygax. Of course, yeah. Uh, you know, Gen Con, mm-hmm. Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. So and, and uh, Gary Gygax used to be a big war gamer, you know that? He used to like write yeah. articles to the general about like setups for Stalingrad and how to like you know defend the southern front and all this sort of stuff. Yeah, so I mean, there's quite quite the pedigree here, but uh, uh, right before Tom goes into his his spiel here, which is going to be great, okay. I want to say when we read, we were actually together when we got uh, um, your little prelim yep. about what mm-hmm. your questions might be, yep. and we immediately both said the exact same game. So really? we were in a hundred percent agreement about what this was going to be. Wow. And, uh, yeah, this is about uh, in in a way about Tom's hometown. Okay. Okay. So uh, I'm from the eastern side of the state, mm-hmm. uh, north of Milwaukee, mm-hmm. and uh, we are going to pick um, an old SPI game. Oh, good. And either either you were hoping that we might pick this, or you're like, oh, I hope they don't pick this. Okay. Uh, uh, we're going to do, we're going to pick as the most um, Wisconsin-y war game uh, SPI's The Creature That Ate Sheboygan. Oh, they're very nice. Yes. Uh-huh. And, and, and it's because, because it's Sheboygan. <laughs> yes. And, and if you, I mean, there's some really good bits in there. Uh-huh. Uh, like in the, the start of the rule book, um, the creature has already devoured and destroyed Manitowoc and now it's coming down the coast. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. And well, and it mentions, I think it drops like Wausau in there too. Oh, I mean, it drop name drops so many Wisconsin cities and towns. And uh, it's it's if you couldn't if it, the listeners couldn't guess from the name, it's about a giant Godzilla esque creature uh-huh. destroying the Wisconsin countryside. Yeah, that's old. That's a, that's a uh, I gotta say, uh, you know what I I think I can't remember who designed it. Let me look it up here. I'm gonna it's Kostikian. Yeah, it's Kostikian. That's a that, that sounds like a Greg Kostikian kind of thing. <laughs> that's like uh, yeah, that's that's. Was that even God? That's a '70s game. I think it's like '76. Yeah, I remember yeah. this. I remember this game, and, and you know, you know, of course, of course, it's '70, it's '79, '79. So, yeah. so I was like, uh, God, I was like 12, and I remember I w- and I was one of those guys. Oh my God, this is about a creature eating Sheboygan. That's not a war <laughs> game. I'm not touching that. I can't believe they're putting out this crap. I was, like, I, was like, I was prematurely like sixty in, in, in my in my preteens, um, but yeah, that's um, that's a uh, and I don't I don't remember the uh, the part about uh, the the name dropping of of uh, of Wisconsin and Kostikian's from New York, I thought. So that's interesting. So he's kind of like maybe that's cultural appropriation. Maybe we got to talk to Greg about that. I don't I don't know I don't know why he picked that. Yeah. I but it, I like it. Yeah, and Tom has a copy of it. Do and you? It's, um, it's, I do. Yeah, yes. and I've actually I've missed out a few times on um, uh, like Wargamers Marketplace on Facebook. There's I've seen maybe two or three times a copy come up, and uh-huh. it, I mean it's not a very valuable game, but somebody always snaps it up before I can. My copy's unpunched. Wow. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So we we haven't played it yet, but we I mean it's like it's gonna be a momentous day for Rally in the Valley when we play the creature that age. Oh game. yeah, you got to. Well, there's there's three copies sitting on the Board Game Geek Marketplace right now. Um, one's one's a bagged edition from England for fifteen pounds. Somebody wants to get rid of their uh, their good copy for forty five bucks. There's an acceptable one, yeah. So well, yeah. that could be okay. Yeah, yeah. I got some photos. I'm just gonna look at the photos here. This is this is classic good good podcasting, right? Where the where the, where the podcaster looks at photos that the listeners oh, can't dude, see. Oh, yeah. we do it. We yeah. do it. You know that we do. It. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. One time, I like to describe the eBay quiz stuff that we do to Michael, and then no one can see the pictures. Also, when we were writing, <laughs> we were writing on right. sticky notes the last episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> describing yeah. that. That was yeah. Good. No, this is this is classic for all you budding podcasters out there. Just just do, just do as we do, and it's uh, it's it's great. It'll work out. 
out perfectly for you. Less visuals. That's yeah, good. Right, <laughs> right, right. Cool. All right. Well, thanks for reminding me of that game. I had completely forgotten. I mean, I, I remember, I, you know, the funny thing, I just remember sitting, I remember there was this, this place called, uh, gosh, what was it called? It was some, something called about like the old, the old uh, train train store or something like that. They sold a bunch of trains, like those model trains. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, but they had a big gaming section, you know, back in the this was like back in the seventies, and um, I remember we, I would go there because it was in our it was in our neighborhood or sort of mall neighborhood, and uh, and they had a copy of this game and I looked at it I was like oh man why couldn't I mean why did they do this why couldn't they have like more Eastern Front Panzer games <laughs> so yeah so but uh, now now I'm glad that they did it so thanks thanks for reminding me of this maybe somebody can do a uh, can do a um, uh, a, re- a redo of this with actual well which oh that and there was yeah there was, oh yeah that old epics computer game crush crumble and chomp yeah they did that oh. gosh you were sending me down the rabbit hole all right I gotta yeah. I'm gonna pull pull us out of this this death spiral of, of me like just uh, looking we, at the internet we can just keep talking about monster games <laughs> <laughs> well there was a game there was a game that I that I wish would come out a computer game that was um called uh they came from Hollywood which is supposed to be all these uh all these monsters that sort of destroyed uh, destroyed L.A., um, but uh, but the, the developers never got around to making it. But it was it was it was it was hyped for a while back in the back in the old days before the before the real internet, where every every single meme gets gets distributed in the next you know in in, in five minutes. So there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing really to discover anymore. So yeah. Anyway. So what do you guys what do you guys have on your on your uh, wargaming menu for Labor Day uh, Labor Day weekend? Uh, well, I'm going to finish up, uh, Dien Bien Phu with Final Gamble. Oh. That's, that's, I have three turns left. Really? So, How's that going yeah. for you? Uh, great. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's really tight, actually. Um, mm. uh, I, it's really close. It could Good. go either way, definitely. Yeah, so yeah. it's, uh, fighting conclusion. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's been, it's been really fun, though. I know that's your favorite. So. Uh, yeah, that's, that's my, that's my game. That's a, it's a genius. They got, Kim Kanger is just a great designer. There's a, uh, he's got a couple others. Ici, um, c'est la France is an Algerian war game, and now he's he's doing this um, Nemesis, uh, which is a Burma game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a little more traditional traditional war game. He's got you know uh, combat factors and a, and a more a more normal combat table. Uh, that's coming out, I think, next month from Legion. So you can keep that on your on your radar there. Uh, yeah, so I, I just got that and maybe some great battles of history. So that's what I'm going to try to get on the table. Okay. Anything yeah. else? Uh, uh, well, I've got um, I just got in the mail Revolution Games. I've got both of their Invasion 1066 okay. games. Uh, one of them is the Battle of Hastings. The other one is I want to say it's Stamford Bridge. Yep. Yeah. When yep, it was right. when it was King Harold against the right. the Vikings. Mm-hmm. Um, I just got those, and they're they're very simple games. But I mean, I'm very excited because they're small footprint, mm-hmm. and I don't have a huge table okay. at my apartment, so mm-hmm. I can kind of leave those set up, and then my girlfriend can take the other half of the table for her sewing or whatever she's doing. Ah, I see. So, so uh, I'm gonna I'm really excited to play those. I might try to rope Tom into one of those, but they look like they're gonna be great solo as well. Uh, and then I also just got. Um, Oh, uh, uh, Con- or Conquest of Gaul, or whatever. The the Great Battles of History that Caesar mm. in, in yeah. Gaul. Okay. And so uh, Tom and I have been getting into Great Battles of History, and I just got that one, and uh, excited to, to see how the Roman legions crush the Gauls. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting system. The um, the I don't know the how it developed that the the original um leader activation system where you had to uh, you could trump people basically say you know i'm gonna go first no i'm this guy's going first uh i found that kind of frustrating uh, unless i was doing it to somebody else in which case i really liked it um <laughs> but uh yeah i'll be interested to hear what you guys think of that did you if you guys uh played if you, uh, you're talking about the um the uh small footprint uh stanford bridge games there's a hollenspiel has the um uh, Grunwald swords and also the battle on the ice. They have those little. Uh, they're, they're they're basically the same kind of thing. Um, small footprint, like ancient uh, knights and and kind of things like that. You should check those out. The, yeah, uh, I've I've almost uh, bought um, Battle on the Ice mm-hmm. many times. Yeah, it looks really cool. Yeah, and the counters look cool. The map looks cool. Yeah. It, you just pull a trigger yeah. on that. Just pull a trigger. Just do it. Brian Train's uh, duo of games from Hollenspiel has been in my cart before, 
and I never, I didn't pull the trigger. Oh, little it, wars in Ukraine and the Ukraine yeah. crisis. Yeah, yeah, those look cool. Ukraine yeah, crisis is a weird game. I I want to get that played because I can't. It's one of those games that I just can't get my head around. Like how this because you know some games are just like oh yeah you you move these guys and you do this and that you attack the city. I can't figure out in in for my for my to save my life how that Ukrainian crisis game is going to go because you sort of bid these these um, you know levels of of uh, of involvement and and you have this matrix and i yeah so yeah definitely get that and figure out how that works i'm gonna i'm gonna get mine <laughs> to the table one of these days uh, i do have it um they, uh, they they finally sent me they sent me a game without cards but then they quickly uh sent me the card separately so now i've got a full game i gotta play it so I'm, yeah I'm, I'm i'm amazed by by hollenspiel being able to just put out like eight billion games uh at a time i guess that's what you can do if you have print and play well yeah and they got that bird game now too which is kind yes. of yes. Oh, the dynasty thing. Yeah, that's that's yeah. that that I've got to think of carefully about getting because then I'd have to find make sure that we can, I I can get three players pretty easily, but five I think is would I'd have to make a big arrangement. So I don't know how you guys feel about stuff like that. Yeah, we we've done some four player coin before because mm-hmm. we we do have a few other guys that we play. Mm-hmm. I play like regular board games with, or, or we occasionally rope into a war game, play RPGs with, mm-hmm. and. We can sometimes rope them into a, a four-player coin, but yeah, going above four would be pretty tough for yeah, us. Yeah, real, real hard. Yeah, it re- requires the uh, the email sendouts and the you know ten thousand schedule changes because somebody's got to work and blah blah blah. And I thought I could go, but my wife says I can't. Yeah, yeah. So, yep, I know those feelings. Well, guys, I've I've dragged you th- uh, longer than I said I would, but uh, I've been having a great time, so I just kept talking. So thanks so much for uh, for coming on Wild Weasel. Uh, we'll be uh, for the listeners who don't know these guys, um, you should listen to their podcast. It's uh, Rally in the Valley dot Podbean dot com. Is that right? Yep. You can also find us. We're on like Apple Podcasts, iTunes, okay, pretty yeah. much any any podcast. Uh, what do they call them? Podcatcher software? You can find us. On yeah, just there. just search for Rally in the Valley, and uh, and you'll find it. It's uh, it's great. Uh, it's war games. Um, nary a Euro game to be mentioned. Uh, <laughs> I'm glad you asked us what we're playing this Labor Day weekend. Otherwise, everyone was like, "Yeah, these, he's billing these guys as war game millennials." But so far, they talked about his RPGs and monster games. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> So. Yeah, yeah. No, you, you guys reestablished your cred. There's no problem there. So good. All right, guys. Well, you have a great rest of your Labor Day weekend, and thanks for coming on. Thanks, YouTubers. Thanks, Bruce. Right. Take it easy. Bye bye. I got a comment on the Wild Weasel webpage asking for my thoughts on the No Retreat series. Because I love comments on the webpage, I thought I'd answer this question as my viewpoint piece this time. And the specific question is whether the system is too abstract or if it's a step forward in wargaming, in quotes. And that's an interesting way to look at it. I think any time a game makes the decision to go to a higher level of representation, it can face the charge of being too abstract, which, by the way, is a class 2 felony according to the wargaming code. And the Russian front's an interesting and I think illustrative example here because after Avalon Hill released Stalingrad back in 1963, it's 54 years ago, Many man-hours and magazine pages were spent on trying to make it more realistic, which of course in those days meant adding mechanics. And I think it's a very important point in understanding the hobby's development, because given how primitive early wargames were in terms of basic game design elements, the wargaming hobby spent many years evolving this design sophistication by, you know, trying to improve its level of historical fidelity. And that was the, I think that was the main driving factor at that time. And this is also right around the time when the realism versus ease of play arguments started. Um, at that time, with so much to be discovered in terms of the art of game design, I guess you could call it, this isn't surprising that at that time, refining games and making them more historical mostly meant adding detail. And reading Lou Cotney's articles from back then, for example, which filled the pages of the General for years about Stalingrad and eventually led to his publishing his own game called Sturm nach Austin, you get the idea that there were things in the historical campaign that he absolutely needed to see represented in the game itself. I mean, that was why he was making all these variants and uh, rules changes. Now, these could be concrete mechanics like railroad repair or gameplay effects, like armor being able to cause encirclements, which didn't really work out in the original Stalingrad. And these were problems game designers still had to solve because there weren't many games that successfully tackled these problems, and those that had introduced other problems while doing it. And I'm not sure we've even solved all those problems even now, but we've got a lot closer. 
So I think designers have gotten much better at conveying what I might call a, I put this in quotation marks, historical feel for a situation, rather than just giving everything as a combat factor and treating it like a military chess puzzle like some of the early Avalon Hill classics were. And part of that is better physical production, part of it is understanding things like counter density, and part of it is a readiness to incorporate abstraction when necessary, or at least use abstract systems to solve certain problems. Now, think about all the chip pull mechanics for an initiative for leader activation, for example. They don't make sense unless you accept the variable probability of a given chip being drawn from a cup to represent something. In this case, it's the vagaries of unit readiness and commander skill interacting with the historical environment that you've chosen. But that's a lot cleaner than rolling on an activation table. Yet some players prefer the directness of a table that corresponds to a factor on a counter because this direct relatability, well, it's just more believable to them. Which is a long way of getting to the fact that people react to abstraction in different ways. One friend of mine says that if a game has paratroops in it, it had better have a paratroop landing table for him to roll on, so on and so forth. Which is fine, and I'm not unsympathetic, is I still prefer hex encounter mechanics with detail and chrome to pretty much any other wargaming genre. But I recognize that this is simply because this is what gives me the most imaginative satisfaction, not because this genre has intrinsic value. What I'm really looking for, I mean, when I'm speaking for myself, is historical fidelity in an engaging game system that evokes the period in a way that I can connect with. I mean, that's why I play war games. And it's easier for me to do this when counters have morale and effectiveness and mobility differentiation because these all directly connect to some historical element that I find interesting and important. But the feel of a campaign is probably the most important thing of all. The Eastern Front has a recognizable historical rhythm that, well, let's be honest, Avalon Hill Stalingrad completely missed. No matter how detailed your game is, it's probably misplaced detail if there's never any German 1942 summer offensive, for example. So what does this have to do with no retreat? Well, to me, very simply, what the No Retreat series gets so right is exactly this rhythm and feel of the Eastern Front from June 1941 through May 1945 and every place in between. And it does this with a streamlined but purposeful set of systems. Now, in most games, you know, if something goes wrong, you, know, you add a rule to fix it. In No Retreat, I feel like Carl Parrott has probably got things right by taking rules out until what was left did the job. I don't think this would be possible without the cards, which is one explanation for why simple Eastern Front designs were weak for so long. I mean, wargame designers took a long time to fully accept card mechanics, and somewhat longer to refine them. So, no retreat offloads so much onto the cards that it leaves the barest essentials on the board, but to me they're exactly enough. You play with a spare order of battle that is just enough to give the front its shape, which incidentally makes every zone of control count. Now, many of the decisions that you'll make will be how to optimize your cards with your play on the board. And this is probably the biggest disconnect for some players because, you know, they want to move seizure artillery units up to attack Leningrad instead of playing a card that says seizure artillery and that neutralizes one force defensive bonus that turn. It's a, it's a matter of preference. But in either case, you still have to commit resources to move your seizure artillery or to save the card. But in no retreat, the opportunity costs feel much more acute since you'll always be discarding cards or using them for replacements or counter blows. And while the siege artillery would be one small part of your force in a larger and more explicit game, and I mean explicit in the sense that things are laid out for you directly, in no retreat, it's not on your radar until it suddenly and very painfully is. And with fewer units, each attack is more meaningful. Uh, Russian position can be completely unhinged if the Russian player makes a mistake with his ones of control. That's a side effect. So this might make players feel like they have to pay attention to the systems themselves, and I've heard some people complain that this makes it feel more gamey. Um, I have no argument there. The more streamlined a game and the more abstract, the less you can bury yourself in verisimilitude. But I get a lot of satisfaction from playing a game about the Eastern Front that gives me plenty of meaningful decisions while the having the ability to play with confidence that the game isn't going to go off the rails historically. A tense Barbarossa, a miserable first winter, a last gasp 1942, the back and forth of 1943, and the inexorable drive from 1944 on, all will happen in No Retreat if you let them. When I'm done, I feel like I've experienced an imaginatively meaningful, plausible, and relevant historical Eastern Front story with a lot of gameplay. And the reason I'm specifically talking about No Retreat, the Russian Front, is that I found the game when it was still published by Victory Point Games, that was the only uh, theater it was dealing with, and that was a revelation to me. Which is what makes it even more remarkable 
that the system does as good a job with North Africa as it does with the Eastern Front. And in doing so, it solves one of the most intractable problems of North Africa games, how to deal with all of the meaningless terrain in between the few strategic objectives. For North Africa, Carl Paradis solves this problem by dividing the theater into four map boards, which has the effect of giving you instantly appropriate counter density on any given map, while providing a mechanism for fluid territorial control because you only play on one board at a time. And this is one of those genius design decisions, like the airdrop matrix in DNB and Foo, The Final Gamble, that seems perfectly obvious in retrospect. It only appeared half a century after people started making commercial board war games in earnest. Remember, Stalingrad came out in 1963. And you can flee one board in North Africa to fight on another board. Which board you fight on determines your supply capacity. Push too hard and you overextend. Don't push hard enough and you give your opponent breathing room. It's an exquisite system. So that's my answer. No, no retreat is not too abstract. Is it a step forward for wargaming, in quotes? I'm not sure. But it's a great system, and I love it. By the way, if you're worried about scaring people off with a game like the Dark Valley and still want to play the Russian Front, check out the Barbarossa Campaign, a solitaire game from Victory Point. This is a game that deserves the full-box treatment. I've been bugging Alan Emmerich to reprint it, and I've offered any help I can give. Why don't you guys help me bug him, too? And that's it for this time. In the next episode, we'll discuss Through the Ages, a war game from Vlad Akhvatil about warfare from the dawn of history until now. Haha, <laughs> no it isn't, and no we won't. How about Monty's Gamble? Eh, that doesn't have hexes. Don't worry, we'll find something. Until then, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time for more wargaming news, people, and views. This has been Wild Weasel number 13.